We have changed. We have improved. We strive to become the best version of ourselves so that you can give the best of yourself in order to go further together. We offer you the flexibility you need to drive a single event or all of your events. We are the only all-in-one event management software that is able to offer you all the technology and support needed to effectively manage, enrich, and revitalize your events, whether they're physical, virtual, or hybrid. With more than 80 professionals at your service, we offer you the best solution always. We want to be your trusted advisors, accompanying you at major exhibitions, congresses, as well as at the simpler events. We are committed to work well done, no matter what size, setup, or location that entails. Striving for excellence is what drives us. This continuous search to become the best version of ourselves is present in all of our products and services. You decide how. We offer four packages of annual licenses as well as budgets tailored according to your needs. Are you looking to take your events to the next level? Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the Event Tech Talk Show. This is actually the last episode of the year. Um, the last episode in season one. We've covered around 2021 episodes this year, um, covering everything that you could really throw a stick at when it comes to event technology. Um, a large proportion of it obviously has been virtual and hybrid events. And um, for those that are listening, maybe in the UK or across Europe, it looks like um, coronavirus is gonna stay and that's gonna be a big part of the industry and our lives going forward. Um, but today, I've got three very special guests who are going to join me and hopefully talk about some things outside of virtual and hybrid events. Um, I'm going to welcome them onto the screen now. So we have Max Gethin, client partner at MatterXP. Max, just give us a wave because then everybody will know who you are on the video. Um, we have Mia Mason, who is head of content at Swapcard. Mia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And we have Lionel. I'm going to get this wrong, aren't I now? I've, 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 oh, go on, go on, I'll give you two guys. Skirville? Perfect. Oh, Couldn't celebrate myself, yeah. There we go. Um, who is account executive at Hubble and some may know his face from his time at Glisser as well. Guys, thank you very much for joining me in the last week reading up to Christmas. I'm sure you're either all busy or already winding down. Um, Amir, this is your last day, right? Of, yes. Of the year? Thanks for letting me end it on a high note. <laughs> um, guys, I wanted to give you the opportunity to just introduce yourselves a little bit more than I've done, what you currently do at your role, um, you know, a little bit about the company and all that kind of stuff. So, so Mia, let's, let's start with you. Thank you. Um, so my name is Mia, as Adam said. I'm really, really happy to be here to share the stage with some awesome people that have much more insightful opinions than me. I'm basically here to learn. And um, I work for Swapcard, which is an all-in-one events and community platform in the event tech space. Uh, we, you know, do what all the events and community platforms do. There's so many of us right now, and uh, it's such a great time to be in this industry because there's so much um learning and development going on and everyone is learning from each other and alongside each other so i'm just basically very excited to be able to witness all of this and i work in content marketing so most of my job is basically talking to people interviewing them hearing their stories and using that to 
to tell better stories for for the industry and for clients and customers, uh, which is why I really love my job because I get to do things like this with awesome people. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Mia. Max, I'm going to come to you. So, hi, I'm Max Gethin. I work as a client partner at Brand Experience and Events Agency Matter. And we do everything from, you know, full large scale in-person events from your conferences and exhibitions right the way through to now your, your hybrid events and virtual events as well. My, my specific role and what I do at Matter is very much on the kind of client servicing side of things and account management. So I work across onboarding new clients, working across strategy and insights and really am there as as one of one of the key people to, to engage with clients and advise how to, I guess, tackle all these new challenges that we're facing. Thank you, Max. Lionel, go for it, Max. Thanks. Uh, I'm Lionel. Um, I'm a senior account executive for Hublot. Uh, uh, again, I just wanted to reiterate uh, what Mia said and uh, really, really happy to be here and sharing the stage again with knowledgeable people and you know, probably more insight as an I could probably bring. Um, but in essence, um, I'm uh, part of the, the EMEA sales team. I'm there to help uh, grow and scale our business within large uh, enterprises across uh, across EMEA. Um, and Yiblo, of course, we are one of the uh, uh, market leaders in uh, the event tech uh, 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 sector at the moment. Uh, we've built uh, really for, uh, and our primary sort of fundamental reason, uh, for our services is around audience engagement um, because we see we see that as a cornerstone to uh, how event organizers will deliver successful events yeah that's me thank you very much everybody um so today's topic event tech predictions um it'd be remiss of us not to talk about virtual hybrid but maybe we don't jump into that straight away um there's lots to talk about and i think you all contributed before this episode with some really good ideas. Um, I think one of the things that I hear, we, you know, let's look at some big news that's happened over this last year. Facebook now becoming meta. The metaverse being one of those ever expanding things and touch points and certainly something that I feel from a brand and corporate's perspective is going to have a huge impact. And I guess does make part, partly make up part of the, the, the virtual and hybrid strategy, right? Um, Lionel, before we, before, well, earlier last week, we had a, we had a discussion around <coughs> avatars in the metaverse. Could you start us off with giving us a little bit of your predictions around how attendees will interact with the metaverse based on, on that side of things? Yeah, so... Um, I, <sighs> I suppose it's something that really sort of stems from um, the use of avatars now, uh, you know, in, in sort of general use across, you know, especially around the gaming kind of uh, sector as well. But also how people uh, really want to be seen at uh, events, especially as a virtual, uh, you know, person as such, you know. Um, and I can see this being where, you know, instead of creating separate avatars for each separate event, for each separate kind of uh, you know service platform you're going to be using at you know at these kind of hybrid and virtual events you will start to build your own avatar um and then you will plug that in into wherever you go basically and us as providers will actually recognize this and start to uh to to allow for these kind of plugins uh you know into into our uh, into our events uh a because it would just make more sense you know um you know because 
I think one of the key things for a lot of event organizers is how to increase that uh, interaction between attendees, but more so with their vendors, their sponsors, and so forth. And they always tend to find that it's always at that point of creation of a profile on these type of events where you get a lot of sort of disengagement, really. You know, and I think if people can just bring a ready-made persona into these events, into these environments, I think you're going to find a lot more people starting to be a bit more sort of venturous in their interactions and how they move across these events. Yeah, I have to agree. And I think we've, we've seen, or I've at least read recently, um, you know, Adidas, Nike, other well-known brands moving into this space, wanting to essentially sell the digital version of their clothing lines, their brand to anybody in the world. And I, I would imagine, I mean, I know I would, I don't know about everybody else, but if you've, maybe if you've bought the real, the, the, the real version, the, the physical version of, you know, the latest Supreme jacket or something like that, you want to be able to show that off in the, in the digital world as well, right? Mia, Max, have, have you, any of your customers or do you see yourselves maybe using those those metaverse clothing items and, and avatars to represent yourselves at events? Either one of uh, you go first. <laughs> uh, I'll chip in there. Um, I, I think it's a very interesting kind of topic as such because we're now seeing, you know, as, as you mentioned, loads of brands going towards that, that you know, customising and clothing avatars. And actually, I think there's an element of, you know, we're kind of talking a lot about kind of B2B and corporate events, but taking it from a consumer perspective, a lot of kids and, you know, not kids, gamers are average age, I think something around the 30s. So everyone is already, you know, customizing their, their Fortnite characters or whoever. So the idea of the metaverse and what the metaverse brings is this kind of interoperable space where your avatar jumps between every single platform. So you can take any kind of clothes or, or whatever kit you're going to wear and take it to any kind of experience, event or anything like that. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting space because, you know, I was listening to a, actually a, a Metaverse podcast and they were saying, uh, one of the guys on there, my kids spend more time outside of school socialising on the internet. So he's willing to spend more money on clothing his avatar than he is his physical self because that's where he's seeing, you know, his mates outside of, you know, school uniforms. So I think, I think perhaps we're not quite quite there yet in terms of mass adoption from from a corporate and B two B side of things. But as we kind of move forward, I think consumers and you know, Gucci sold a handbag for four thousand dollars on on Roblox. So you know, we people are spending money and serious money on on kissing their avatars. And I think you know, as this continues, more people are going to be engaging with it. Can I just? Can I just? qualify what you just said there gucci sold an item on so, roblox for four thousand yeah a handbag which is actually more expensive than the the, the, the real sure. version of that that handbag um which which is you know kind of kind of blows my mind so that that was a, a resale i believe so they sold it for, for less originally and then you know value went up and yeah for i think it was four thousand one hundred and something something odd think I'll stick to the real leather things because they seem to be more cost effective. Um, do not do not tell my wife about that. Um, Mia, Mia, what about yourself? I think one of just before before you answer this, one of the things that I see um, this helping with is when people do join new event platforms, um, not having potentially the uh, standard avatar icon or GIF or or 
uh, image that represents somebody that hasn't taken the time to maybe upload a, a profile photo. And I know some platforms are much better at encouraging attendees to do that and some attendees are, are quite happy they want that visibility they want some per a personal touch but you know from my own experience from event tech live we've, we've had many attendee come and there's there's no human side to them and maybe this is a great way for people as the adoption from just in general from people become of they have their digital representation that's the easy choice for them to import that into and, and get representation but Mia how, how do you feel about the the metaverse and its impact on, on the events industry? So firstly, I think that it's super fun to be able to kind of escape a little bit and play around with an avatar. Everyone, you know, loves that. That's what I did as a kid when I played video games. I spent the most time dressing up my avatar, more time than actually racing or whatever it may be. Um, I, I definitely think that it's a fun way uh, to to make events more engaging. Because right now, you know, nothing is nothing is certain with the new variant circling about um, things are going to go back to virtual hard in Q1. Um, I'm already seeing big names going fully virtual or cancelling. So the, the standard of the average virtual event consumer is much higher than it was in March 2020. They expect so much more. They expect production perfection. They expect engaging ways for them to feel like they're there and not at home or not in the office. Um, so this, the, the, the standard has really gone up and we're going to have to deliver. That being said, some audiences have still not, after two years, adopted basic virtual events. So I don't see all audiences adopting the metaverse as a, a fun way to, to, to meet virtually. Uh, I definitely think it's going to be it's going to be for specific audiences as Max was saying um B2C is a very easy way to to adopt that with the the mass audiences. I don't know if B2B is there yet. Um it would be fun if it were, but we know that there are also lots of people in this industry in different niche sectors of the industry who who just wouldn't go there that wouldn't work for them so i don't think that we should look at total mass adoption and make it such a big thing that it becomes a requirement or like the basic entry level for any virtual event but if it can be used as an an optional way or a more fun way it, and if the platforms can do a great job of making it so entertaining that everyone wants to do it and easily understands how to do it why not yeah i have to agree and it's really interesting uh, the comment you made there about forcing the adoption right i think as the events industry as as a as a self-proclaimed geek i want all the latest technology to, to 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 be seen at events and deployed at events but we have to wait for our, our audiences to catch up as well don't we right like i can remember being at an event not too long ago actually and somebody had obviously not been to that event for a while they walked through the door they actually stormed into the event organizer's office and were kicking off because they removed all of the printed uh, literature with the event app and that was they were just not ready to interact with the event in that way it was alien to them i think it maybe mm -hmm. had been obviously a couple of years before but since they'd been to to event and event apps to us in in, in this podcast would be you know they're it, the, the old hat almost aren't they it's it's a case of there's new, new technology coming on the horizon and that's like yeah line up yeah yeah i, I was going to say it's it's um you know, we're we're very reactive as an industry you know we will adopt these if you know outside our, our particular industry this is becoming a, a more of you know if people using avatars for other things like you know 
you know, going to the barbers to try out a haircut, a pre-appointment before they actually go and sit in the chair and then complain about it later. Um, but I, I think we'll also be pioneers as well. I think the, the, the event industry will start to push the envelope a little bit as well. I think we'll start to make things happen. Uh, and, you know, the metaverse at the moment, it's still just an idea. It's, it's still embryonic. It's There's no, you know, there's no kind of, a basis to how it's going to really look like it's, it's similar to how the internet was seen in the 70s you know it was still you know there's this great thing coming what is it we don't know same with the metaverse but you know the possibilities and also this you know the the speed at which these th these functions and these services will uh become more apparent for everyone and for everyone's use um will be something that we'll probably be proactive in pushing as well as as well as being reactive Something that's very connected to the metaverse and everything that we've been just talking about is NFTs, right? Non-fungible tokens. This seems to be something that has many applications and certainly could have applications within the events industry. Does anybody have opinions on the role that NFTs might initially play a role in the event design experience? Is it some way that we reward, reward our, our attendees? Is it... Is it the way that people will actually become part of the business side of the event? Maybe they have the rights to the VIP gold platinum level ticket and they can actually resell that and, and like a secondary ticket market. Has anybody got any any opinions on the role that NFTs might take? Max, I'm going to come to you because I can see you, I can see the clock. I'm, I'm poised, yeah. Um, <laughs> I think that there's, so, so the role of NFTs in events is, is an interesting one because I think there has to be a perceived value for, for anyone to, to want to buy one, right? So people who are buying, you know, I think at, at the moment, brands are pushing out NFTs left, right and centre and, you know, some of them to, to varying degrees of success. And I think from an event side of things, I think it will really depend on, on the audience and type of event. So I can't imagine, you know, uh, your average exhibition attendee or conference attendee saying, right, I've got the NFT for going to, you know, a a watch exhibition, for example, or, or, or something like that. Um, but from, you know, a, a brand event or a, a, an online gig or something like that, I think that that's quite interesting where you've got something to say, I was at, you know, the, the Coldplay gig or the Lil Nas gig, and that's almost like a badge of honor. And that's something to say, I, I've got that. Yep. But yeah, it has. To, I think there has to be a, a value to, to, to the audience or at least a perceived value anybody else got any opinions on do anybody disagree with max or do you are you in agreement with him I, I totally agree with max i think if we can't show the value then no one is going to be interested because it's a whole learning curve i am it's still all like goes straight over my head i'm trying my best to learn more about it and understand what it means but i mean even on a basic level, I think you need a specific kind of wallet or tool to be able to store NFTs. So if you get them and you're not advanced technolo technologically enough to have that, like what, what value is it going to be for you? So definitely, I think it's going to be for high-level tech-savvy audiences to start with, um, maybe Event Tech Live. And uh, and then, but I think it could be a, a fun new way in a, in the you know foreseeable future to incentivize um attendance or engagement or, or meetings with exhibitors or competitions um things like that got to be creative I think, I think just going going back to that then if you look at um 
you know, perhaps the board eight, board eight yacht club, for example, owning one of those board eight NFTs allows you to go to specific members events and unlocks various different kind of perks within that. And if there is something that, that rewards you for owning these NFTs, so say, for example, we go to Event Tech Live, we get our NFT, and then next year we get access to special sessions or networking events or something around that, I think then there's, there's again, there's a value to having that as well. I don't necessarily think, yes, that they might. And then actually, I'll take that back, I think there may then be a, a resale value perhaps for, for those NFTs as well. I think that's a really good. I think that's a really good point. Um, for for those that are listening or watching that maybe not have heard of Board Ape, Board Ape is a series of NFTs as in art, digital art activation, yeah. right? I think there's about ten thousand in the um, in in the collection, and, and some of these go for in excess of half a million upwards, don't they? In yeah. terms of in terms of value, um, and I think to your point in terms of resale uh, value, Max, I think a really good example of the value of that to research is um, Gary V's VCon and the way that he essentially funded that um, I think somewhere in the region of 20 million dollars plus in ticket sales part of that being NFTs and there's a very you can search this online there's a, a great example of the value to an event organizer of that by actually the community started to resell these and at the and a percentage of that came back to Gary, and I think he gave the example of making around three hundred thousand dollars in a single evening from the community reselling access to certain elements of the event. Um, so that then creates this economy around the event where the organizer benefits, but then the attendees get privileged access based on whether they see value in it or not. I think me and me, you make a very good point that um, it's only going to have the adoption if our audience understands and sees value in it and i think again that's partly our role as um the events industry to help the education uh, and the information because let, let's face it like google glass was a thing like what 10 years ago and ar still hasn't really become prevalent in in even just like normal day-to-day -day life so never mind um events and things like that lionel do you have any any opinions on nfts before we we maybe move on to one of the other trends that we might see. <laughs> yeah, no, I, th I think if it's done with integrity, I think it has worked. Uh, you know, one thing you have to avoid is this being seen as some sort of like Ponzi scheme, if, if that makes sense as well. As, you know, it, it, it has to have some sort of, you know, tangible worth to the attendees or people who are, who are trying to exchange this through, sell it, whatever, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with Mia and, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something that we'll see a lot more of and probably a lot more adoption by sort of vendors and sponsors within events as well, you know, because one of the things they always need is more parity to footfall, you know, across their virtual uh, uh, sort of presence. And I think that's a really great way, but also, you know, moving to hybrids, you know, in a much more sort of, you know, more holistic manner as well. I think that will have a great, great draw for people. But again, as long as you stand with integrity, I think. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that we've explored at Events Tech Live, I say we, I mean me, because the rest of the team are like, don't talk to us about this, Adam. We don't get it. Um, I, I think NFTs initially could be a really good way to give the, the badge of honor, the visibility of how long, you know, the, the attendee that's been there for 10 years in a row, um, the, the exhibitor that's, you know, been with you or the sponsor that's been with you since the, the inception of the event. Like, those kind of... 
it's it's more prevalent in the US, isn't it? You get the attendee badge with all the ribbons that kind of go off that depends on what they're included in or what they're part of. And I see NFTs being a way that we can give digital representation to our attendees of, of their participation or their support or that or reward them in that way. So they've got those those visible things. And um, for those that haven't explored NFTs and think it's a it's a crazy thing, just you know, go to OpenSea.io, have a look at the artwork on there. Um, have a look at Damien Hurst's example, because I think that's a great yeah. example of where you can actually satisfy both sides of the audience. You can satisfy the more tech or digital savvy with the digital representation or the more you know old i don't want to call it old school because that's bad but you know maybe the ones that are more firmly planted in the in the physical world and actually reward them with a physical item and the choice is the attendees do they want the physical or they want the digital um so go on off and explore because i think it is something that's going to play a role in events um how that plays a role i think is yet to be to be fully to be fully seen um, I have a quick question, Adam. Can I can I jump in and catch you off guard, or all three of you? If you, it it came to me when you were talking about the badge of honor. The idea is to be seen with that. Now, in a virtual event, how would NFT badges of honor be displayed? Would that be something that's like put on the person's profile or on their avatar, um, like? as an actual badge and then in the physical world who's going to know you are this and that and have this and that nft if you're just a person walking there with nothing it's a, and your avatar you wear it as a crown that's what you're doing yeah. <laughs> okay. and, a big trumpet, and a big trumpet yeah no i mean there's yeah there's there's probably a myriad of ways of trying to do that and um uh each i suppose each token might have its own specific you know specific kind of visibility you know again creating a bit more value to that you know so I think, yeah. I think that's a great question, Mia, and I, and I think there's many ways that that could potentially um, materialise or, or be visible. I think the way that the Bored Ape um, example that Max um, Max gave, that's most prevalent, I guess, on Twitter, people using them as visual profile pictures, representations. And the great thing about NFTs is you can actually you know, research that image and actually confirm whether that person actually owns the rights to them or they've just downloaded the jpeg and uploaded it and it's just a blank um when it comes to the when it comes to the in-person event um i think that's a very good question there's no there's nothing that i can see that's very apparent that would um maybe um visually show that at the moment but hey maybe fashion will catch up and we'll have you know maybe a, crown. a crown or maybe a jacket that you wear or a coat that actually changes based on your preference to the nft that you've got at that moment in time um maybe maybe the maybe the clothing's digital i think ar will play a role in that for sure yeah. because i think ar makes the most sense in as we as individuals adopt ar technology to make our lives easier then as i look at yumia or max or lionel maybe there'll be an overlay of that and information surrounding them and i'll be able to see you know that information yeah. that's that's Lionel's collected as NFTs for coming to that specific event for the last you know ten years or something like that. Do you do you agree, Max, or mm -hmm. do you do you see it a slightly different way? No, I was I was going to say that was quite a nice segue, perhaps onto the the role of AR because you mentioned it's been kind of been around for kind of ten years or so. Um, but I think over the last even the last year, it's become you know, much more widely used. We're seeing it in virtual events to you know bring products that 
to life at home or in, integrate into into the overall experience. Use of second screening on virtual events again is another thing I've been playing around with with AR. And I actually, I would say AR is going to become you know much much more prevalent than than VR over the next few years because it is because of just the inherent nature of being able to use it in actual day to day life. VR, you know, you're in your, your kind of own world. You're not interacting too much with with you know external space. But look, take take a, for example a, a physical event, being able to look at a product demo in AR over and over again, or you know you meet someone. Uh, so say for example, Lena, we met and we're having having a conversation, and you wanted to pull up a, a pitch deck to show me a few slides about you know what what what. what what your business is about, I think that's going to be a really interesting way of, you know, seamlessly bringing up um, content and engaging with, yeah, the the, the metaverse in or on a level um, in in person events. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say I can agree more, um, but and this really touches on how, on basically in essence, is a hybrid environment. You know, and we're trying yeah. to make this now a much more, um, I suppose, just a more everyday occurrence for us, you know, regardless of what we do in doing life, you know. And like I said before, this is, comes back to my point about us being reactive as well as being proactive now. And this is why I think the event industry, you know, I think, you know, the sort of feeling was that you can't show, you know, old dogs, new tricks and things like that. But I think we've got it in us to really now sort of be proactive and start to pioneer some of this stuff and to show people, look, you know, you know, this is what hybrid means. This is the, the fundamental, you know, thing about hybrid, you know, and this is how you can use it, not even just in, in the event sector, but how this can permeate life as well, you know. And I think this, like you're saying, you know, the VR thing is a little bit too, for me, it's a bit creepy because, you know, you don't want to be stuck there in like, you know, just, you know, just, you know, just it's weird, you know. I think AR is, is the way forward, you know. I think it's, you know, you know, invest in Google Glasses now, you know, coming at the bottom, I think, yeah. you know. AR, AR to me seems a very balanced blend between in-person and digitization information data yeah. that we provide to our attendees. It should be enhancing the experience. I, th I think there are going to be some early problems and some challenges maybe around privacy of people, especially if there's information presented to you about individuals, like how do we go around people choosing the right for certain information to be displayed? I think in an exhibition format, there could be the use of AR to display additional information around an exhibitor, but then does that detract them from actually engaging with the exhibitor on a one-to-one -one basis? Because this kind of, you know, is everybody going to be stood at the back of the hall kind of looking at people and going, right, what, what do they do before I actually walk over to them? And we want to encourage interaction in that side. We don't want, the, we don't want technology to be a, a hurdle or a bridge that we have to then put additional things in to, to get over. Um, yeah but it also you, oh sorry, sorry. Lionel, go on. no i was going to say it just depends on how you pass up that data as well you know you know you, you everyone's expectation you go to an event you know you, you expect exhibitors to to jump on attendees at some point you know be, you know virtually or you know sort of in, in person uh, and i think that expectation is always going to be there and it's it's expected um but at the same time you know you know we, we want to have more data insight more uh, actionable data to show either to our own client or to their you know vendors and so forth so we're going to start slicing out slicing up that that kind of interaction even if, even if it's, it's most subtle ways 
you know, you know, technology is there to give us that kind of passing up of that data. That's the key. That's when the data, you know, the data privacy is going to be a main issue. Uh, but I think also at the same time, if you're an attendee and you're going to an event, you expect some sort of interaction that you possibly might not want. You know. You mentioned earlier, Lionel, that we'll change the events industry will change from being maybe late adopters to, to pioneers. And I think that's a really interesting segue into what I believe that as an industry, we could very much be a pioneer in and that's community. You know, we, we bring people together in moments in time. Um, we support them with probably a huge amount of information. We, we're ultimately about connecting people, aren't we? Whether that's in a digital or a physical um, environment. And, and Mia, Swapcard and yourself have been a very big supporter of community as a strategy around events like what role do you see community taking and how you know maybe as the events industry do you think we can really get community right because i think there's the potential to get it quite wrong or, or view it as the wrong thing when it comes to and, and maybe what what role do you think event technology will will play in actually supporting community Gosh, so much to unpack. Stop me at any point if I go on for too long because I'm really passionate about this topic. But to start with, event technology will play a central role in, in the building and engaging of communities year-round because you can't do that physically all year round necessarily. It's going to be through technology. So it's going to be a pivotal space where everyone in the community can meet I think there's, we're moving to a model where it's going to be 80% of online interactions throughout the year and 20% of in-person interactions that by no means take away from each other, but complement each other to make each one more special. It's going to give us more time to nurture leads or to browse and evaluate different suppliers, whichever side you're on. You can have the whole year to do that instead of maybe two weeks before the event plus three days on site things are not going to go back to the way they were in 2019. If if that's what you think, then I'm sorry for you. News for you. <laughs> I think you're going to get left behind, um, except for very specific niche events, you know. But the majority of, of event planners, event organizers and event associations need to look at engaging their audience all year round. I'm not saying every day of the year. They should choose their rhythm based on how well they know their audience, what their audience needs could be once a week, once a month, once every two weeks, and in different formats. And not every member of the community will be engaged at every single micro event, plus the big one. They will choose, pick and choose their, their moments, because that's that's what the that's the point. Give them the choice, give them a variety of, of ways to engage with each other and with you, the organizer, and with your suppliers or exhibitors, whatever you want to call it. Um, and they'll choose the best ones for them, making a better experience for everyone. And uh, in terms of monetizing communities, I mean, it's a goldmine because which sponsors and, and suppliers would not pay a lot of money to have 24-7 access to that entire community online any time of day or night to be able to set up calls, to be able to spontaneously call, to be able to show new products, new um demos, new materials, and then they can pay extra. I mean, the idea of membership for the community is totally going to change the way we look at sponsorship packages. It's going to be, it's still going to be tiered and there's going to be different levels of subscription, but it's it's for, for attendees and for sponsors 
and for speakers, you know, anyone who wants to present or post on the newsfeed or anything like that, they could pay for extra visibility and, um, you could start with like a totally free version for members who just want to see the value first. I think that's the best way to get them involved and uh, and then let them upgrade when they're ready to start networking and things like that. But I mean, look at, I was reading on Forbes yesterday that for an article from like early December that said 39%, this is in the US, 39% of US workers or employees are not looking to travel for business again. That's huge. And I think that we shouldn't we shouldn't stick to this this you know motive of oh my word everything is just going to come straight back to in person we can't wait it's great yes but it's not coming back the way it was before and some people are still not going to want to travel even when things have settled down whenever that's going to happen so you've got to keep it online throughout the year you've already got the community they exist they look forward to your event every single year or every six months however long it may be you've got them in chapters regions and you've got the content you do it at your event so now you can just put it on demand all year round you can you've got the newsletter usually most event organizers have everything in place that community just doesn't live anywhere for the whole year all you need to do is make them live somewhere and then engage them i said stop me no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I couldn't agree, couldn't agree more. yeah, yeah you're right you? yeah, yeah, no, you're right i mean you know this is this is a key thing but you know this this kind of goes to the heart of how people especially event organizers still look at events they want to go back to the in-person because it's the one size fits all solution you know grab everyone in one space and just throw everything at them something's going to stick people are going to enjoy themselves and you know and when in reality it's just it's controlled chaos now people what you can do is actually break down what what you know what it is you're trying to do as an organization you know it, it, it's your content it's your messaging you know then have targeted audiences like you're saying Mia, you know have communities built around these your messaging create that community but also have targeted interactions you know with your demographics around that particular topic around those services around those products you know and your returns are going to be so much better and now you have the technology that will provide that blended approach, you know, a bit hybrid or even just fully virtual, but now giving you data insights to make you grow and scale as a business. You know, isn't that what you're meant to be doing? Isn't that your primary reason to, to hold events? You know, it's not about fluff and style over substance and, you know, sort of ice cream machines and, you know, you know, bubbles that smell of things when you pop them, you know, those type of things, you know, it's, Surround your messaging around your content. And I couldn't agree more, Mia. Could not agree more. Totally. I just think event planners, it's what you said at the beginning, Lionel. The mindset is still very much in the old-fashioned event model, but it needs to change because once they think of the mindset of a media publication, for example, which has monthly or biweekly or weekly issues and competitions and specials and promotions and free gifts now and then, that model needs to be what event planners adopt. And then their big in-person event needs to be but one aspect of their whole yeah. year-round marketing journey. A big one, but just one aspect yeah, of it. It's like, like the cherry on the cake, really, in that, yeah. in that respect. You know? um, but yeah, no, you're, you're, you're totally right. Totally right. Couldn't agree more. Max, I guess this comes quite nicely onto some of your points around content being actually you know, a key proponent, you know, in-person events coming back, but, you know, audience expecting 
more greater access to, to content as the key value to, to the event, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think just, just before we kind of get, get onto that, I'm just thinking from, from community aspect and building that, um, networking has been kind of widely known as one of the biggest challenges within kind of virtual events. And I think within that community, you know, people, people will go to annual events where they'd meet, you know, the, the same people year on year and they'd learn from each other, you know, catch up, learn about, you know, their businesses, insights, etc. And I think that kind of in-person community is still so, so important. But as you said, everything around that and how you build that throughout, because as we said, you know, 39% of people in the U US aren't going to be traveling for work. They have to be engaged through other means and that is digital and that is content. And, you know, you know, we all work in events, we all know the power of content. And I think if there's been one thing over the last two years, really, is that that digital and virtual content has to be as, as good as TV. It has to be that kind of Netflix quality, broadcast quality content, because that anyone can just, you know, sign off or go, go make a cup of tea, stop listening. It's so easy to, to switch off. And I think there has to be, you know, one, an element of, keeping you keep keeping you engaged and interacted but also then just the, the overall experience has to be seamless i mean everyone just you know we, we don't have time to, to sit and watch crap content essentially nobody got time for that i think <laughs> no. max and it's so true what you're saying about the virtual side of things because i don't know if you guys have seen this but i've i went to about six in-person events over the past three months and actually not just saying this because you're here, Adam, but Event Tech Live at, in London in in, uh, in September, was it? I don't know what day November. of the year it even is anymore. <laughs> yeah, right, November. Um, Event Tech Live was the only one that I witnessed really engaged on-site attendees, you know, engaging with the content. That was because you had a great layout. You had lots of different little stages with limited seating and you know, the, the headphones and people could really engage with that. But at everything else that I've been to this year, people on site were, I would almost say couldn't care less about the content. They were few and far between in the, in the you know, halls or the, the in front of the stages, but everyone was just networking and having fun and talking. And I think that's what, of course, that's because we missed it. But then again, you have the virtual side where there are thousands of people live streaming the content because virtual learning and virtual content consumption is not a new thing. It has never been an issue. There've never been that many roadblocks. It's just that in terms of engagement, as Max was saying, that it needs to be perfectly po polished and produced and really engaging. But yeah, I think the content is more for the virt live virtual audience. And then for the on-site audience, I think they will consume that at a later stage like they do Netflix. And you need to give them the option to watch it when and how they want to. I think what's really interesting for me from a content perspective, and this is, I guess, slightly from my own experience, we were never event organizers. We never organized, I told you this, Mia, on your stand when you mm -hmm. interviewed me, we'd never organized an event before. I'd never even organized a birthday party before I started to organize Event Tech Live and Event Technology Awards. We came from a content perspective. We built an audience through event industry news using data and analytics. We could track that event technology was of a high interest to a broad set of our audience. And that gave us the confidence to launch an in-person event. Now, if virtual events were an option, more of an option, should I say, because I, I would argue that we're, they were still an option maybe 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago when we launched, 
if they were more prevalent, if the platforms like Hubble and Swapcard and the others, you know, there are other brands available, there's many of them, that were available as, they, as much as they are now back then, I think it would have been a natural course for us to go from being a digital publication to a digital event because it was in our comfort zone, then possibly to an in-person event. And I think what's really exciting that I, I think I predict we'll see as a trend in 2022 and going on is those that are prevalent and huge content providers already, maybe they're publications, maybe they're, you know, individual bloggers, content creators, YouTubers, you know, they're on Patreon or maybe even their Twitch, you know, streamers or things like that. People that produce content will step into events utilize virtual event platforms to bring their community together with very specific content around the activation maybe it's a niche part of the content that they do and they'll do a series of them and then those people will evolve into bringing their community together in person as well i actually see content being a big key proponent in building virtual events out that will then see more physical and in-person events they I, they go hand in hand but that's the that's the that's the trend I see: content becoming virtual events, becoming in-person events, and I think that's how we'll how we I, how I see the events industry expanding massively over the next decade. Mm. Don't know if everybody really agrees. This. You all nodding, so it sounds like you agree with me. <laughs> I've never heard that theory from anyone else, but it's so spot on and so interesting. Yeah, I mean, if you've got an audience online, no matter where they are, you know. That there are YouTubers with millions and millions of subscribers. Why wouldn't they want to come together with them for an event, you know, and, and take part in the community? Look at, um, what are they, what's the platform called? Oh, it's a messaging platform, but it's becoming quite prevalent. Uh, da, 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 da. Sorry, guys. I, for those that are listening to this podcast, I am frantically looking at my phone to uh, get the, the name of the Discord. Discord communities are huge at the moment. You know, they have voice chat, they have the like this Twitter spaces, the, the clubhouse spaces, they're huge communities of messaging. Why would why would anybody that hosts those communities not want to then move them into a virtual event and monetize that or, or just provide access to, to unique information? So I think I think you're on the money, Max. Con content is, you know, it's got to be of high production quality. It's got to be really on the money. People, yeah. you know, don't want to watch crap or listen to crap um, yeah you know Lionel, we, you, yeah no no I, th I, th I think that's that's that again i can agree more with you max you know that but it, it's also for creative agencies and for event organizers to up their game now as well and it, I've, I've always said this when we when we went to virtual when we pivoted straight to virtual and i said this to and i remember saying this to a colleague especially and you know him madam i won't say who okay. but yeah but so uh, you know i said that you know it's, it's about content now you know, it's about the messaging. It's about what you're offering your audience. You know, it's no good to just say, look, just come to this space and have a good time or have try and have a good time, you know, in your busy day. You know, this is around now more targeted, you know, uh, information and, you know, information that has worth, basically. You know, it's like we're trying to pick up, you know, insights from interactions and it's only based on how we're, you know, how worthy is that sort of data you know for our for our clients same with the messaging as well to your attendees so i can agree more about concept being king but in regards to how you know sort of these youtubers these influencers say you know these people are producers of content on other platforms yeah they will utilize services like ourselves you know and we have the capacity and we've got the ability to deliver that 
But again, if it's done with integrity, you know, and a lot of times people that might want to look to, you know, move away from YouTube or, you know, other platforms like this, it's because, you know, they're skirting very close to the edges of what's acceptable or not. So you need to police that as well. You know, uh, and this is not just an open forum for people to expose what they need, you know, or they what, what they want. But then what you're going to do also, you're going to get, you know, bigger corporates, their sort of sponsors and all that involved in these uh, deployment of these type of events as well. And you're right, you know, it's just going to blow up and there's a huge monetization opportunity for both, you know, content producers as well as service providers like ourselves. You know. I, I think it's really interesting because, you know, look at, you, you take YouTube as a platform and what does it do? Something like a billion in ad revenue in, you know, a couple of months or something like that. Every every month or something, there's a billion in ad revenue. And the content creators on those platforms, they, they, they get a share of it. And it's not even like a 50-50 share. It's whatever whatever Google and, and the guys, the YouTube gods decide at that moment in time, whether you're getting highly monetized or you're getting demonetized. And those individuals, the content creators, they're leveraging the YouTube reach and the platform to obviously reach their audience, but their income or, or their interaction with their community is massively swayed depending on algorithms. Mm. And I can certainly see them using virtual event platforms or, or community platforms to have a more direct connection with their mm. community and, then, and, and more control over their income and the, <coughs> and the value that they leverage from brands and partnerships and sponsors and stuff like that. So it, I'd, I'd argue virtual event platforms could, and community platforms could take a huge chunk of revenue and, and, and community away from platforms like YouTube if they're not, if they're yeah, not careful. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, in essence, what we'll become, instead of a virtual hosting or a hybrid hosting platform, we'll become a content delivery and data mm -hmm. insight capture uh platform or services that's what we'll be and that's what we do in essence you know that is a key fundamental thing to our services you know that's what we're all about if you're right you know i i think you know i think it's still we're we're at sort of important sort of crossroads in in how these services uh move forward and how they're deployed more, more importantly i think that's that brings Sorry, Mia. One quick that. last comment yeah, about what, what Lionel said about becoming a, you said content delivery and data. Did you say data capture, data what? Data insight capture. Data yeah. insight. That is the, one of the biggest points for me. These content creators and influencers and even community owners on social media platforms, whether it's on Clubhouse or Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, YouTube, they have access to the analytics, but they have a limited view because they don't own the platform. Whereas if they bring that in-house to a platform that is completely white labeled, they own all the data. They don't just have access to some of it. And that is going to be huge when it comes to retargeting things for the audience and getting to know the audience better. I think there's a big trend that could develop there. Well, it's exactly like um, retailers going direct to consumer rather than you know hosting yeah. their, their products on Amazon or or various other marketplaces. They're 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 obviously pros in you know having your products on Amazon. You've got that reach and everything around that. But again, the, the data building the community, giving people access to, to your products and in a much more personalized and unique way is is you know it's, it's a trend we're seeing in retail. It's definitely not going away. And I think that's a really interesting point yeah. for creators and and the events industry. Well, I was, uh, and this kind of touches on another thing I, I spoke to Adam about uh, how our services, how these how, you know, platforms like ourselves are seen by, you know, uh, sort of the marketing uh, uh, function, you know, within within companies. You know, at the moment we're like a disposable commodity. 
you know, we all seem like, you know, like the potted plant at the events, you know, yeah, kind of, we, we'll have you now and we'll do it on a one-off. You know, we want to become more of an integral component to their tech stack, you know, and I think when the marketing departments realise that how effective the use of technology like this is in basically increasing bottom line, you know, you know, CFOs, the CEO is going to love those guys, you know, mm -hmm. and it also just, you know, then we become, you know, again, you know, integral part to this. Uh, how, we, how we do this and I think that's the bridge we're trying to cross at the moment I think in our industry I definitely think that's Absolutely. something that's going to happen but you know I, I think I think it's a really interesting point Lionel and, and you know the light bulb went on in my brain when when we were talking about this previously about the the on-premises and the license and the ability for organizations to to utilize that technology without having to go through procurement and red tape and you know, personal preferences and things like that. It's like, this is a tool. We have an unlimited or X unlimited usage of it. Go off and utilize the tool to the best of your ability without having to worry about the specific cost around an activation and things like that. And, you know, organizations don't really approach software on a on an event by event basis. They, they, they choose a technology like HubSpot or Marketo or you know, the Google suite of technologies or Microsoft, and they fundamentally build a strategy around utilizing those technologies within their entire business to leverage the maximum value that they can out of it. Could you imagine if they were like, somebody, if somebody in your organization said, yeah, we're using Microsoft for this month, but we might move to Google next month, and then we might move to Zoho the month after, we're not quite sure yet, because we're trying to figure it out, but yeah, and then it'll change in another six months. That would be absolute chaos from an organization to to really leverage the value out of those, those yeah. technologies in that way. But it also offers those those organizations much more customization and proprietorialness to the, you know, to this technology as well. You know, because every company is looking for a, a you know a competitive advantage, you know. And if you if you can use, you know, services like like ourselves, like Swapcard to you know, to, to, to basically help your company just grow, you know, you're going to want some sort of like personalization to it, you know, at some point, you know, I'm not saying it's for everyone because it won't be because it's only the big companies have got the money, you know, that can afford to, to take this on print. But, you know, I think it really depends on what type of events you're producing, just like everything, right? What's the objective? I think from those that are trying to reach a community and update with content and things like that, then you're going to want an integrated an embedded solution with your own organization from probably from Max's perspective when he's working with a brand and they're thinking about an activation or an experience they're going to want freedom of choice because they want to they're going to want to use the right tool for the right thing at the right moment in time right yeah. am I getting that right Max yeah yeah exactly I mean we would say we're platform agnostic in the way that we you know we, we find the best solution for for the brief and to kind of echo your your, your point that some clients have preferred virtual partners and that we, we have to use them and then that's fine that's all kind of signed off via procurement but we also have the ability to you know put put ones that we see are, are most fit for, for, for the type of event forward and then kind of work with that but there is there is a massive benefit to using the same platform over and over and over again making sure you can you know improve time and time and then also from from a data perspective as well being able to capture all that data and then i think one of the points made i haven't made yet but is you know integrating that into CRM and you know your your customers' profiles and using that data really to inform sales and marketing teams to to you know as as you said grow yeah. grow the business yeah because I th I think that's another sort of key trend as well is 
the integration piece, but also the collaboration piece as well. Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, I I came from the telecoms uh, industry where I saw you know giant telecoms companies trying to take over the world. You know, digging up road, laying cable. Halfway around the globe, they realised, ah, oh, we've run out of money, and we suddenly have to go file for bankruptcy. You know, all the major players realised they they can't they can do. It. Why reinvent the wheel everywhere you went? You know, look at collaborations. Look at sort of you know joined up services with people that offer, you know, you know similar services. But also, you can work as a partnership. I don't, you know, there's enough meat on this bone. I should say, you know, that's quite a bad analogy, but you know, it, you know, for everyone to 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 really sort of benefit from. You know, and I think that's that's the key. And also, the fact is, you know, everyone has their own. You know, I'm still talking to end users that love Kahoot. You know, they love it. You know, it's yeah, it's a great great tool you know so why not let's use that and that's what we've done you know we've looked at embedding those type of apps within our platform because it just makes sense you know it's it's something people are familiar but also it just widens the scope and it, it makes them feel like they're really in control of how they deploy this event you know and it sort of goes goes back into that you know that stubbornness of change and you know really how you know wanting that paradigm to shift you know and that's don't forget oh, sorry go on mia one last point for max don't forget about the final end user experience, the attendee experience, and how much easier it is for them. And what a delightful surprise when year on year, they don't have to create a new profile on a new platform and learn to navigate a new platform. That's one of the biggest benefits. And I really want to stress that organizers and, and anyone in the back end should not forget about the front end user because they're really the ones that need to have the best time on the tool that you're choosing for your event. Yeah. I also just wonder whether there'll be some back to the avatar idea, maybe there'll be some kind of profile that the attendee keeps with them. And, you know, can we can we get past registration? Absolutely, get, it should be. Past, yeah, it already exists on Swapcard. Maybe even we can, I, I don't know about Hubelo, but I mean, the set one profile, if you happen to attend multiple events that all run on Swapcard, you just sign in with your thumbprint or your password or your yeah. magic link. And it's the same profile for all the events. So you don't have to update all your info all the time. Yeah. Same but then, time, not yeah. the, the goal. <laughs> but the, yeah, but it also it approaches that thing about you know having that blended approach for in-person and virtual attendees. You know, you, we all you know we've all been to in-person uh, events. When's the last time we went there? We were presented with a form. Fill out this for your profile. It's like yeah, <laughs> in the bin. Off it goes. You know, it's no. We're never going to do it. We're just never <laughs> going to do it. So why should we do this now? Especially if the technology will happen and it will start to roll out. You know, people just want to turn up. Do their thing, you know, you know, smash the place up and then come back out again. You know, smash that's the yeah, that's <laughs> it's like just me when I was in the vents. No, yeah. inviting you yeah. to an event, Lionel. Now, Lionel comes in, smashes your event up and leaves. Don't even fill you out your registration form. Um, that that's actually, I'm, I'm conscious of time, I'm conscious of all your time. It's nearly, you know, me is already like edging to, to get out the and cocktail. Go to the local, co yeah, go to the cocktail bar, get a, get a drink. I want to, on that, on, on things that we shouldn't do or hope to not see, I'm going to land this on you. I didn't tell you about this before, but maybe what's a, what's a prediction or a thing that you hope we leave behind from 2021? Maybe not, maybe in 2022, maybe in 2023, if we can get that far. But like, Mia, you put your hand up first, like, go for it. Instantly, what came to mind was a recent event that I went to that I won't name, but that didn't have an event app. No attendee list visible, no exhibitor list visible, no integrated floor plan. It was an absolute nightmare and basically a waste of 
a few days of everyone's time because it was pure coincidence if you bumped into the right people. And I cannot believe that that's still happening in 2021. So if that is still happening, if there is no event app that helps your, whether you have buyers and sellers or whether you have a conference schedule and content and viewers, make them connect via something handheld that they can easily find their way around and put that floor plan in there and put the timings and everything plus profiles avatars if you wish but that was a shock to my system and it was very unpleasant experience to not have uh, an app with an indie list and an integrated floor plan and a conference schedule so then apps making a comeback then (laughs) um is do not forsake having a virtual strategy you know we are banging at the middle of a pandemic. We are not at the end of it, you know, and do not give up on that because, you know, if, you, if you're going to throw all your eggs, th- this is the trouble. Everyone's throwing their eggs into one basket and then to, reacting to another, you know, spread, mitigate your risk. You know, that's the key to it, you know, because your events need to still go ahead. And if you want to show your worth as a functioning component to your business, you know, have virtual strategy. Max, you hope see something that we, or do you have something that you hope we leave behind or, or get? Uh, uh, here we go. Uh, not having to have a virtual strategy. Oh, <laughs> controversial. <laughs> well, well, no. I mean, that that being said, you know, something I'd love to, you know, my, my background is in-person events and that, that's what I absolutely love. And, you know, I'd love to get to a point where we don't have to have virtual as a backup. I'd mm-hmm. like to have it as mm-hmm. always a an addition to to an event and an enhancement of it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah hybrid, yeah, hybrid. But I mean, yeah. you know, if you need to pivot, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. You, know, you have to have yeah. plan B. Just fingers crossed, not having to pivot. That that's what that's that's what I'd like to leave behind. <laughs> it's it's I, I I have to agree with you. You know, from there seems to be very t- you know it seems to be you're on one side or the other. And there's a there's a small group of us that I think are in the middle, and probably the the supply chain more than anything, the agencies, the suppliers, the media that see this as a, it should be an integrated approach, right? You know, yeah. just how confusing it is from your from your audience to constantly tell them, oh, we're going this way, and oh, actually something's changed, and going and we're going mm. this way. And listen, I know we all and everybody listening and watching this will hope that um, we don't we're not living in a constant pandemic world where there's something always around the corner that's going to stop us convening together and, and forcing us to go digital but it is a choice it's a it's yeah. a god-given choice to everybody on this planet to be able to engage with an event digitally it's the same way that they watch films they can either choose to watch them on netflix or when they come out on their own set top box or they can choose to go and have an experience at a cinema um and it shouldn't really be one or the other Yes, it will be a different approach depending on what your your, your audience is into, where, where they're weighted, what type of event it is. I hope we don't see virtual weddings because that would be a crying shame because I love a I love a bar and a you know a good dance on the dance. I can't dance very well, but I do like to to at least try. But you know, my point is that it will it be very much weighted. But we should have a it should be a strategy, a holistic strategy that we're carrying forward if we want to make the the most out of our, out of our events and satisfy. The, the largest number of attendees that we have our, have as part of our community. So I have to you, know what, you know what we should do, Adam? We should totally come back to this in December next year and see if we were talking bullshit all along or if some of it is true. This episode did not age well, is what you're saying. 
what 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 will happen next year is we'll still be in a pandemic. We'll still be um we'll we'll still have you know virtual will be a uh, um, sorry uh, virtual and digital will be an integrated strategy. Lionel will be wearing his NFT crown. Max will be <laughs> wearing his IR uh, IR goggles, and Mia will be still singing the praises of event apps and things like that. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. Um, everyone, I really appreciate you all giving up your time. Um, thank you very much. This was a really interesting conversation for me. Very balanced, I must admit. Um, I think there's some great takeaways, especially in Lionel. So, uh, Lionel, there's more than enough meat on the bone. That was, that's definitely going to be the quote that promotes this podcast. Um, for anybody listening or watching, where's the best place to connect up with each individual one of you if, if people want to kind of continue the conversation or just want to hang out and, and follow along with what else you've got to say? Max, I'll go with you first. Yeah. The best place for me is is LinkedIn. You can find me, Max Gethin, relatively simple. And yeah, hit, hit the connect button. Mia? Same for me. Very active on LinkedIn. Mia Masson with two S's and you'll find me there. Lionel? Yeah, same here. Or you can give me a, give me a direct shout out, Lionel at hubelo.com. Awesome. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening today, um, or if you're listening or watching on demand. Um, this brings us to the last end of the last episode of the Event Tech Talk Show for season one. Uh, please join us next year for season two. And if you want to listen or watch any of the last 20 episodes back, you can go to eventtechtalks.com or the Event Tech Live website, eventtechlive.com. Um, thank you very much. See you in the new year. Thank you.